0: I forgot that we were recording until I looked at my phone and said we were recording in 12 minutes and I was on my way home with lunch when I saw that, so.
1: That's how the show always starts. You're eating ramen or something. Nope. Chipotle. Oh, (laughs) okay. Why does Skype say speaker's muted? I don't
0: know. Skype's a liar.
1: I can hear everybody. I don't know.
0: I don't understand new Skype and I'm not going to try to.
1: What's the show about again? Half hour or so. Half hour? Okay. (laughs) It's about a half hour? (laughs) Hi Sean. Hi Derek.
0: <laughs> Tom's happy. Should we mention the the, the news? What's the news? Did you, oh did you not hear Stephen Hawking dead?
1: Oh yes yeah poor Stephen Hawking you know he had a good life he's 76 ish or so yep good 76. long life obviously living with ALS is not pleasant but
0: yeah like given I mean it's impressive given that they originally gave him only a few years to live when he was diagnosed in mm-hmm.
1: his 20s. Mm-hmm. Don't know much much else will say
0: about that. <laughs> I know he is part of the reason I got interested in space stuff in the first place so it was sad news to hear mm-hmm. very controversial opinion I know
1: <laughs> I wrote a blog post this week I don't know if you saw it oh about what it's about ruby 2.5's yield self oh so yeah So when this got announced so like I saw like blog posts about like hey yield self is coming and here's how you might use it and I looked at them and I was like I don't know that doesn't seem like something I would use and I said it f- knowing full well that like i am also an elixir developer and i use the pipe operator all of the time in elixir but it just didn't seem like to me like a thing i would use in ruby and then my client project upgraded to ruby 2.5 and like two days later i was tasked with like adding some functionality to these query objects that were really complex they would do various things based on the value of parameters passed into them and they would modify this base relation along the way and i was like oh the options were either like confusing local variables that you're like oh if it has this parameter then modify the relation in this way otherwise you know keep working on the original relation and so you could do that with local variables or you could do that by like nesting confusing nesting function calls or whatever and then i was immediately like or i could just do this with yield self and so i rewrote everything using yield self so using yield self and the combination of the method method and the little ampersand that you put in front of that which i guess what does that do turns it into a block or a proc or something
0: calls to proc and then converts the resulting proc into a block
1: okay well there you go so i combined those two things to just end up end up having like base relation dot joins whatever like all the stuff i want to do every time and then say like yield self uh hospital clause yield self discharge period clause and it would just yield to method private methods that would either they would have one conditional that said like if this parameter is present do the thing otherwise return the original relation and so it cleaned up some code quite a bit. So I wrote a blog post about it. I can link to it. I titled the blog post talking about yield self, but it was as much like a an ode to yield self as it was to that ampersand method technique. Because I feel like that's really an underused thing. And in the blog post, I talked about how, like, perhaps as yield self becomes more prominent, ampersand method will also get its due.
0: I would love to see that actually get some special syntax.
1: As opposed to it's not syntax now? The amp- ampersand is a method? I mean, the or-
0: ampersand is, but specifically for grabbing a instance method of self and converting it to a, a block. Like, you you know, in languages with non-optional parentheses like Python or JavaScript, right, you can just do self.some method without parentheses and you're just grabbing that instance method as a, you know, just a regular function that you can pass around.
1: So your argument then is that if it were syntax, it wouldn't have the overhead of a method call? Is that... Well,
0: it's not so much that it wouldn't have the overhead of a method call. I mean, first of all, the method, method is actually an expensive method, uh, which is why, <laughs> like... You know, I would feel fine using it on client work, but not in Rails itself. Because in Rails itself is where those little performance differences matter, not so much in actual apps. But it's also just really long and ugly.
1: Mm, So in Elixir land... You do like the non-optional parentheses thing, where you say like module name dot, and you can you can access any function this way, obviously, right. um, and then you have to give it this weird like slash two to meet to say like I want the one that takes two arguments, not the one that takes right. one argument, that kind of thing. And you have to do that regardless of if there's only even if there's only one function and it takes two arguments or something, you still have to specify slash two. Right. Whatever. That's still equally long. I didn't. I mean, I guess it's shorter than having to type ampersand method before it by a couple characters given the slash two or at the end or something like that, but
0: Well before the lonely operator got added ampersand dot would have been my preferred syntax
1: Yeah, that so would like be nice dot
0: foo would be equivalent to ampersand method colon foo.
1: Yeah That would be nice
0: and it could still like there, there's no reason that that couldn't be added today Like there as far as I know there's nothing about that syntax that should make it like illegal even with the lonely operator But now it's just confusing to have the same operator depending on if there's a thing before it mean, check if it's nil or, you know, grab Mm -hmm. an an instance method.
1: Like I was saying in the blog post, I said that, you know, maybe yield self becoming a more familiar thing to people will lead to more people being comfortable with the ampersand method, method call slash syntax slash whatever you want to call it. But in reality, like now that I really think about that, like it's no more useful to yield self than it is to map or anything like that. Any enumerable method, really. So if you haven't... (laughs) If you haven't become comfortable with it yet, then maybe you just won't. Because I have, I have introduced what I've added like ampersand method calls before. There's been some like, "Hey, what's this?" And then I just kind of hand wave and say like, "It's a way to get a hold of a method and pass it to a block," which is fine. But or like, as a block, I mean, yes, yeah, pass it as a block. But my <laughs> my dirty confession is that as we started this conversation i was like what does that ampersand actually do because i still don't know the difference i've been doing ruby now for nine years something like that ten years maybe i don't know somewhere around there and i still can't tell you what the difference between a proc a block and a lambda is (laughs) And Do I don't, you want to know the difference? Uh, sure. Maybe we could, uh, but like more, like I would love to learn the difference once more. It's one of those things where I've read the difference and been like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And I probably, as you are about to explain to me the difference, I will probably be like, oh yeah, I remember that now. But it's also one of those things that like, I feel like it's one of those like quizzy Ruby interview questions. Sure. But I've been doing this professionally for nine years without the need to actually need to care in general. Like there are a few instances where I've had to be like, wait, is this a proc or is it a lambda or like, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But it comes up so infrequently that it's not actually knowledge that's required to do my job. But I feel like it is a dirty confession because it is the kind of thing that shows up on all these like, here's how you interview a Ruby programmer, ask them this. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that. So
0: go ahead. Yeah, It's definitely a thing that you can get through your entire career without ever actually needing to know or care. Because mm-hmm. generally, the one place you would need to care is if you end up with a lambda when you didn't want a lambda, and you will get an error message that specifically tells you why that was bad. But anyway, the difference between lambda and the rest is just lambda cares about its arguments. So with a block, you can pass it too few arguments. I think you can even pass it too many arguments, and it will fill the other you know the arguments that weren't passed with nil. Whereas a lambda is strict about its arity, like a normal method call in Ruby, and then a proc and a block. I mean, it's just the difference between one's an object, the other is is a thing that is special syntax for um, being given to methods, but is not an actual object. If you put an ampersand you know, if you capture it with an ampersand, that converts it to a proc, and that's
1: the only way you can reference it in Ruby. Okay. Sure. Lambda's
0: the only one you need to care about. Right. So
1: Lambda, I understand, is being different, but proc and block have always been like, I don't know. It doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) That's because they are basically the same thing. The only difference is whether you have captured it into a Ruby object or not. Like, every proc has a backing block. It's literally just a Ruby object that, you know, this is a block, but in Ruby object form.
1: Okay. Got it. The other Ruby 2.5 thing that I've been trying to get used to is stack traces print in reverse now.
0: Oh, yeah. I heard that was a thing.
1: So the most recent frame is first. So the error is like, I guess it prints most recent last. But as you're looking at it in your terminal, the most recent thing is first right. along with the error, the error and then the first line. And they're all numbered. So it's it gives you that indication that like, oh, OK, this is the one I'm supposed to be looking at. And I think it even says most recent first or something like I was really excited about this change, but it's also been really hard because <laughs> I immediately go to scroll and then I'm like, oh, wait, no, wait, it's down here. It's right there in front of my face. So it's been hard to get used to. And also, it only changed the order if it's printing to a terminal. It didn't change the order if it's printing to a log or anywhere else, which at least the version of RSpec I'm on also means that RSpec still prints the backtrace so that the thing you want to look at if you want to look at the backtrace is all the way at the top.
0: Oh, is RSpec capturing the output I imagine.
1: Somehow? At least the version I'm on, I haven't tried to like bundle update RSpec or RSpec Rails or something, but maybe that would become more aware of that. I think that would be a useful, useful thing. In general, I, that's yeah. the order I want. It's just that I've got to become a little more used to it.
0: No, and it makes sense for it to only do that in the terminal too because if you're reading it, if it's going somewhere other than the terminal, you're not necessarily reading it from bottom to top.
1: And our spec already does some stuff with the way errors are out. Like it, it actually grabs the exception and puts that so it actually is the thing that you see. So for the most part, that's all I need to see. I don't generally need to go back and look at a stack trace when I'm doing test-driven development, but it is nice when like running a server and something weird happens and it's just like, oh, okay, there, it's right there. <laughs>
0: So it's interesting, I'm looking at the um, original, because so yield self is one of those methods where like, I've never really felt a need for it, and I could like see maybe an argument that it could be useful, mm-hmm. but I've never run into a place where, like, yeah, I, if I had a more concise way to yield self, that would be helpful. I'm just looking at the original issue, I do not know a good use case, but it looks very natural to me. <laughs> And the only use case given in the entire thread is something that only needed to use this method or block in general to get around the precedence of the ternary operator.
1: Well, I hopefully have provided a blog post where you can see and be like, Meh, that's better, but maybe not. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) I guess you could probably do much of what I did with merge on a relation? relation merge. Yeah, maybe. Not quite sure. Yeah, probably. Perhaps all of that blog post, but the blog post was also kind of like a dumbed down version of what I actually did. It was much more complicated than what I put in the blog post. But merge, I think, is a little harder to, at least for me, has always been harder to reason about than just like continuing to write a thing that represents SQL. I've been trying to use merge more and more frequently because it allows you to reuse existing scopes on other classes when you're joining to them which is nice, but it is another one of those things that when I do it, people will often point at in code review and be like, what's this doing? And then I'm like, well, (laughs) it's merging the two relations in a way that it's confident they're talking about the same tables and stuff and joins the end.
0: They (laughs) actually don't have to be talking about the same tables. You can totally merge two relations that are referencing just completely different. So can
1: I do like post.all, merge, author.all? That
0: will actually do nothing. Okay. Because there's absolutely no modifiers on either relation. But you could do like blog.all.joins authors.merge author.where foo.
1: Right. That's what I meant. So it's still doing a join. It's still joining those two relations.
0: It won't join automatically just be if the relations are pointing at different tables. So if there's a, you know, really this only matters if there's a where clause. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, or any clause really. But just focus on where clause because a where clause you can almost think of as a hash and then it's just hash merge. <laughs> Like things will still reference the table they were originally pointing at. And if you haven't joined to all of the relevant tables, like it'll error. But yeah, I could totally see why people would, it's a method that I think not a lot of people have seen before and aren't necessarily aware that it exists. You have to have a lot of confidence that it does the right thing, which if you are on 5.0 or later, you you probably can't have that confidence. (laughs) There were a lot of bugs in Merge.
1: Okay. Interesting. Have
0: have come up over the year. Actually, really really five two is the first time you can ever truly, truly, truly be confident because there's that whole thing where I redid how bind parameters are stored, and, mm-hmm. and that was a bit the majority of the bugs from merge came from oh, and these bind parameters didn't get merged properly. Okay. That got mostly better in five oh, but
1: well, I'm glad that most of my introductions of merge are in things that you can be, can, I don't, we don't use scope, but in class methods or whatever that are active record scopes that end up having tests. So I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Well, that
0: and if, if you're doing simple stuff, like right. if you're merging things that basically have where clauses and order clauses, it's, it's pretty much always worked.
1: Okay, there we go. Pretty much always is really what we're looking for. <laughs> yep that's ruby so i did immediately after i wrote the yield self thing i was like wait now i want to use it again so like i had another example in a test where i was using a factory to create a join model right so just a model that stands between like let's use our posts and author example again where like if post could have many authors then you would like create an authorship right and if you have an authorship factory and you don't pass it a post or an author it would end up creating a post for you and an author for you so like In my test, I wanted to have a post, an authorship, and an author, but I didn't really care anything else about them. So I was like, oh, I can do authorship equals create authorship, and then I can do post equals authorship.post, and author equals authorship. authorship." I should have picked a better word, .author, and that would get me a handle on everything, and I was like, that's three lines. What if I just did a destructuring assignment, so I did author comma post equals create authorship, Dot yield self, and then I yield the thing into the block, and then I return the array of the two things that I wanted. And I looked at that, and I was like, "Yeah, that works," but I'm not going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's like that's yes, it is now a one-liner, but it's it's significantly more confusing than uh... right.
1: <laughs> Especially since to fit it on the one line, I had to give the the block parameter a single-letter variable name, which I always hate. Right. So I did end up making a three-liner, and then it turned out I actually cared about the. In this case what would represent the author I cared about some additional parameter on that so I had to create the author ahead of time anyway So it would have been a lot of diff noise had I like committed that and then had to go back to do something different
0: Speaking of single letter variable names Mm-hmm. You want to talk about those single letter variable names? I've been sending you screenshots of for the last week
1: <laughs> Yeah, sure so, uh, a lot of G's in there. I believe
0: a lot of B's. for those who haven't heard me talk about this before in my free time because I have weird hobbies I've been implementing a version of the shuttle's powered explicit guidance program that works for Kerbal Space Program uh, in Rust. There are other people who have implemented this, but I've just been going off of the technical specification that was approved by NASA for the various functions. And basically it's this giant document that is a description of all of the mathematical formulas and then flowcharts of the actual program. But because it's math, everything has a single letter variable name. <laughs> and They have this huge five page section at the very beginning where they document what every variable is. So the, first of all, to find out what a variable is, you have to scroll back, you know, 40 pages earlier and then a lot of variables. So like W is the value of U0 squiggly X over four semicolon squiggly alpha function. Squiggly, in this case, means normalized, so it's whatever normalized x is and a function that takes that over 4 and the normalized semi-major axis of the craft. And u0 is apparently a thing that I'm just supposed to know what it is because there's a whole subroutine in this called u0 series summation that returns u0. Of course. And then there is b, b sub 1, b sub 2, b sub 3, b sub 5, all documented as intermediate variables. I don't know what b sub 4 is. Apparently, it's not just an intermediate variable, though.
1: Of course not. So why do they do that in math? Why do they use single letter variable names with subscripts rather than like?
0: Because they like their stuff to be really, really short. I mean, to be fair, I have been writing this using whenever I fully understand the concept that they're talking about Mm -hmm. using full descriptive variable names. And it definitely ends up being very, very verbose code.
1: But is it to a degree self-documenting, or at least documenting to somebody who understands the domain?
0: Yeah. I mean, occasionally I use abbreviations, and I've also been leaving off the word normalized in places where just, like, literally all calculations on a thing are, nor- are operating on the the normalized version of it. But, like, you know, you just end up with a lot of lines that are like, let previous eccentric anomaly equal self.eccentric anomaly coefficient times previous.eccentric anomaly difference.
1: Okay. I mean, I guess, you know, to counter my own argument, like... Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared does not quite have the same ring as E equals MC squared, right? You don't sound as smart. So, you know, go on with your single-letter variable names, mathematicians.
0: No, please don't. (laughs) Or if you do, at least document them all like this document does. But please don't document anything as intermediate variables or the return value of this function. I don't know. There's just like, and there's a bunch of magic numbers in here. Like I have this function that's like, if w is less than 1, then x is 21.04 minus 13.04 times w. Else if w is less than 4.625, x is 5 times 2 times w plus 5 over 3. I just have no clue what any of these magic numbers are. I would have
1: thought it was over four, but, you know, over three, I guess. I guess the, the NASA people are probably correct.
0: Uh, Yeah. L70.
1: <laughs> right. That's the condition that's like, we'll never get here. Let's just put an L70. Let's just, whatever.
0: I also still don't even know what W is. <laughs> it's labeled intermediate variables.
1: Well, that's what it is. You should have called it intermediate variable rather than W. Oh uh, yeah. Stephen Hawking died on Albert Einstein's birthday.
0: I did I, I saw that.
1: Speaking of E equals M C squared.
0: Was that was that yesterday that happened or was it today?
1: He died this morning. Okay. So and he presumably in somewhere in England, I would assume.
0: Yeah. Also my wedding anniversary.
1: Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Somebody just posted in our Slack a tweet that said, Just ask Google now how old is Stephen Hawking? and the response was Stephen Hawking died tomorrow at age seventy <laughs> six time
0: zones (laughs) (laughs) oh that's that's unfortunate
1: (laughs) there's a developer on our client project right now that is so scarred by previous time zone issues that he is like extremely adept at finding any potential like Anytime we use time or days or anything like that, anywhere in a pull request, he's all over it. And he's like, you can't do this. Can we just do like, (laughs) and he lists out all the reasons of like the things we're going to have to consider. And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I probably never would have considered this. Like I consider myself pretty good at being like, you can't do that because time zones, but he's really good at it. Uh, So I appreciate that feedback. I've got a fun
0: time zone story for you.
1: Yeah, let's do it. I love time zone stories.
0: So this wasn't even a project that was on. But I got I got called over to kind of help figure out what the issue was. I don't even know what they were doing, but I just remember that they were very specifically like focused on the Middle Eastern market. Mm-hmm. So most of the stuff that they were doing was like Egypt and Israel and those sort of time zones. And so there was just this test that was failing. And we eventually figured out, OK, I mean, this is a time zone bug. Like everything is just an hour off. And if we change everything by one hour uh, on one side, it works. So we spent probably a good half a day looking at this. And I was convinced it was an active record bug, how it was an active record bug that like has is manifesting in this super obviously should be working thing. And we've never seen it before. was beyond me. But that was what I was convinced. Eventually, we came to the conclusion, okay, Postgres and Ruby are just disagreeing on what time zone this thing is in. And the answer turned out to be Egypt canceled Daylight Savings Time that year.
1: (laughs) And one of them knew about it and the other one didn't.
0: Mac OS knew about it and Postgres didn't.
1: Yeah, I feel like I've run into things like that before one of these projects I was on was like a scheduling app kind of thing. And I remember I had um, Melanie Gilman was apprenticing with me. Hi, Melanie, if you listen and she was a very good apprentice. And so I would actually we, we leaned on her to actually contribute a lot to the project. And one of the things that she was like very early on, we were like, there's some time zone issues. Hey, why don't you spend some time looking into that? And then it resulted in her running the test suite at like just like opening up OS X's clock settings, and like <laughs> changing her time like an hour at a time until like various things reproduced. And I think there may have been some of that going on as well. I forget exactly what it was, but I've definitely heard of that issue before
0: back when I was first getting started I never fixed time zone issues in tests because it meant that the test started failing after 6 p.m.
1: <laughs> so just don't run so after the 6
0: time as my reminder to stop working <laughs>
1: perfect sounds good I don't think that would fly these days no probably not yeah we're all expected to work 14 hours a day so <laughs> On the time zone front, I have a video that I send around every time when it comes up. It's a scene from the West Wing, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's my favorite time zone related, like, normal person trope. It's where some of the president's staff is, like, gets lost and they're, like, driving around the back roads in Indiana where they discover that they've crossed time zone boundaries because that's a thing you do when you're in the Midwest on occasion, and that you know, the people there are just like, yeah, you cross the time zone boundary. And the two people in particular that are on the president's staff have a, a reaction that is not dissimilar to the types of reactions I have when I encounter time zone bugs, <laughs> which include mumbling to yourself, yelling, slamming things.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it used to be every town had its own time zone. Really? Yeah, it used to be there was basically just one clock in town and they would basically just set it based off of what they observed to be solar noon. Mm-hmm. And, it would, you know, it, it would be off usually with a margin of error of somewhere around 30 minutes in in any direction, but that was close enough for that entire portion of human yeah. history. The whole idea of a time zone only came about because of railroads, because <laughs> nobody knew what time a train was arriving or leaving, because the railroads would publish those times, but they would be in you know, some time zone, and a city uh, stopping... The, the first city they'd stop at might be using a different time zone. The second city would be using a third time zone. You might be coming there from a city that uses a completely different time zone. It weren't even really time zones. It was just the time that the clock in that city said. Yeah. Clocks weren't accurate enough to really have a notion of a time zone before that.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess I'd never thought about that. We just had daylight savings time here or ended daylight savings time. I can never keep Started. track. Whatever. Started no, daylight no, savings right. Started, yeah, <laughs> sure. This is why whenever I, I use like time zones and emails, I never put the abbreviation EDT or EST next to the time I always just do ET for Eastern time because the D and the S stand for daylight and Standard I guess uh, and I never know yep. which one we're in so I just say ET.
0: I always just hedge with comma X UTC <laughs> <laughs> Or send a calendar invite
1: but we just, we just had the time change. And as somebody who has a small child, I yep. bet, you know, you deal with various issues around that. And so, like, I was always, when we had small children, I was always like, I mean, my children, I guess for some definition of small, my children are still small. They're five and seven. But I was always like, when they get older, this will be so much easier to just be able to deal with the fact that time, the time is off. But it, I feel like when they were younger, there were some sleep things you dealt with. But now that they're older, they're just like little jerks. <laughs> <laughs> because like there's there's cycles all thrown off like we're feeding them dinner and they're not hungry we're putting them to bed and they're like i guess they are not tired yet you know and they're just little jerks about it they do mean things to each other and to their mother and to me and so i just we just keep in my house we have a you know they've been it's been a a rough couple of days i think combined with the fact that they were basically inside all day for uh, a snow day yesterday because of the blizzard we had here so combined with that they've we've had a rough couple of days and i've kept i've had to remind my children and my wife about what i'm calling the the time change goblin It's like (laughs) oh they're possessed by the time change goblin just (laughs) just give it a couple days they'll be okay
0: See I lucked out occasionally. I will just randomly wake up at 3 and not be able to fall back asleep And that happened the on the day that the clocks went went back an hour
1: forward Didn't we spring we sprang forward. Oh, did you change your clocks okay, the wrong just, way?
0: <laughs> no, I just must have gotten off by two hours instead of one hour then yeah. Oh, well, I thought I locked out. Maybe not
1: <laughs> I mean I think as an adult it's weird like the big thing for me when the time changes is like It's a little harder to wake up in the morning because it's darker but it's nice in the afternoon. You're coming home. It's still sunny. And then, like, I'm never hungry when I'm supposed to be. Like, look at the clock, and I'm like, oh, "It's twelve, twelve thirty. Why am I not hungry?" And then I deal with that. Two days later, it's fine. But you know, little kids turn into jerks, man. Yeah, I love. I mean, Ruby definitely
0: was just off by an hour, and yeah. it was annoying.
1: Anyway, let's abolish time zones. Let's all live on UTC, and let's all just follow the sun.
0: I mean, it would be great if we just if we just didn't have daylight savings time. That's the. I, I have no issue with the concept of time zones. Well, I do have an issue with them, but not nearly as much as I have an issue with daylight savings time
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I feel like we should just like as a society We should just be more flexible and we'd be like yeah Things are usually open from nine to five, but at a certain time of year that becomes harder to do So they're open from ten to six instead or like ten to four or like, you know We just like if we don't want kids waiting for waiting for the bus I don't in the middle of the dark. we have
0: to shift the times that things are open <laughs> Like half the year. Some things are open the, the, because
1: it's, own, some, well, by open. Some things need to occur around daylight, right? There needs, it needs to be light out. Like children sure. being picked up from a bus stop. Generally, it's best if that can be done while it's at least somewhat light out.
0: So the thing is, you know, during the winter when daylight savings time ended. So like one of those things is there's a golf course by my house that turns into a giant off-leash dog park.
1: Oh, after nice.
0: Four. <laughs> That's one of those things. It sort of has to be light out. And it, it's impossible to go during the beginning uh, or end of winter when, it, like, it should be light out at the right hours, but the clocks have been moved back an hour for no good reason. Mm. So it's four when it should be five. So, like, I should have been able to take my dog out there for an hour, but I couldn't.
1: I think this was a good segment to follow up on our episode from a couple weeks ago, where we complain about things we have no possibility of changing. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would like. Hey, to... I mean,
0: you know what? Egypt canceled daylight savings time that one year. Mm-hmm. Arizona does not follow daylight savings time. It's yep. possible.
1: Yeah. In Massachusetts, they formed a committee of people to look into this about what they should do about time zones and daylight savings. And the proposal from this committee, after they did all their meetings, was that we move to the Atlantic time zone and we eliminate daylight savings time.
0: So it's funny, though. I actually do want the opposite. I want it always to be daylight savings time.
1: Okay. one of the, Whatever it is. But basically, right. so well, that,
0: the time that it is right now, I want it to stay this time.
1: So, yeah, I guess that would be, yeah, that's what we'd be doing. Because we would move a time zone east, which would be one hour ahead of where we are now. And we would eliminate the daylight savings time. So we would always yes. be in the current time. Yes, uh, that, current. Is,
0: that is that is the thing that, that we should do everywhere.
1: So that was the recommendation. I can't remember. There were some caveats around the recommendation. I think it was like, we should see if we can get other New England states to do this with us or something like that. But I don't remember. I don't know if that's actually going to go anywhere. But it was very exciting to think about. I mean it doesn't really solve anything because uh, for me as a developer anyway because I, it's not like I, I can pretend it doesn't exist <laughs> like right. you'd have it to still have the actually entire, does exist
0: you have to have the entire world agree
1: yes and that's probably not a thing that's going to happen
0: <laughs> well to be honest I mean actually so this leads me into a weird feature request that I get on diesel and also a, a bug report I get on rails <laughs> well rails I think we actually do support time zones for the time type Inactive record, and that's only because there is so. The, so time in SQL is a data type that represents a time of day, and it has no date component. Mm-hmm. There is not a object in Ruby that that represents that, so we use the Ruby Time class, which is actually a date time, and the the class called Date Time is actually a calendar. But to each their own, <laughs> uh, and so because we've arbitrarily chosen that times are reasoned about as January first two thousand. In active record, when, you have, when we were dealing with time with no date, we actually can apply time zones. But then in Diesel, the only type that we support for mapping to the SQL time type is from a library called Chrono, which does have a, a type called time, and it actually represents a time without a date. There are basically two variants of it, naive time and time. And then time, you specify whether it's either UTC, local, or fixed offset. Or wait, does, no, time in Chrono does not have a time zone, right? Yeah. Sorry. So for everything else, there are three variants. There is a naive version, so like naive date time, and there's date time, which has a time zone, and then you specify whether that's UTC, local, or fixed offset. But then like people, people want time zone stuff with just time, and I'm like, but that doesn't make sense, because to know what time zone you're in, un- unless you're literally specifying it as UTC plus or minus some amount of time, anytime you're talking about an actual time zone, which has a name, and for almost every time zone has a variable offset, it's meaningless when applied to just time without date
1: hmm Yeah, that makes sense. That's a conversation. I've had with people before that times don't make sense on their own without a date <laughs> in a location
0: <laughs> I mean they do if you like you're dealing with a calendar event that you want to repeat at 7 a.m Every every day, I guess so. Yeah, or like an alarm or you're writing a clock
1: app. Yeah Sure
0: time is absolutely a thing that makes sense without a date.
1: Well potentially right so like I guess it depends on the context like in the context of an alarm clock where you make the assumption that when they say seven o'clock, they mean seven o'clock all the time. But again, if I just store, they mean seven o'clock, right? And then it's a, let's say I'm writing an alarm clock for a phone, right? And I Mm -hmm. say, okay, seven o'clock. Does that mean they want to wake up at seven o'clock local time everywhere? Or does it mean they want to wake up at whenever it is seven o'clock in the location that they currently are in? You know, like when they traveled across the country, do they want to wake up at seven o'clock there? Or do they want the alarm to remain for the time that they're they're in and it depends on if it's an alarm clock for like waking up then maybe yes I mean, maybe, you, a, maybe you maybe say but if it's an alarm clock for taking medicine Right then no, right? But I was
0: gonna say if it's a calendar if it's ca- if it's a repeating calendar invite You actually do want the time to shift when you're in a different time zone
1: see there you go
0: It's more and then you're still storing you're still having to store both a the actual Full <laughs> date and time with time zone and also just the time itself so that you can deal with the, re- the repetition Yeah, there's also uh almost nothing properly stores duration like Rust has a built-in duration type, and it's just wrong. Great, because it, it it stores seconds uh, and nanoseconds, so you it cannot accurately represent things like one day or one month. Those are the right. other two you have to store.
1: How would you represent one month? That's not a standard unit of time. One month. But in which scenario would that be useful? I, I want
0: I... this. Re- I want this event to repeat at one month. I would like this date, but one month from now.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, and the only way to store that, sense, that is
0: yeah. as one month because anything else is going to be wrong. Well, I mean you could store it as one twelfth of a year, but that's I mean, year is just twelve months. But month and day are the two other variable length units of time that are right. useful to store.
1: But you couldn't store it as one twelfth of a year. Because sometimes no, it's one month, right. and, a, and a year is just
0: not a thing you store. A year is twelve months. Right.
1: But one month is not a consistent unit of time; it's just a right. consistent. That's why,
0: you, that's why you can only store it as one month. You can't right. store it as anything smaller. But it's,
1: in that case, it's not a duration. Like a duration is a consistent unit of time. So one month okay, would just sure. be like interval,
0: a, if you want to call it that. That's there what we go. SQL calls it.
1: <laughs> then we'll call it interval.
0: <laughs> I've never wanted a duration. I always want interval. Um, also, I'm like doing benchmarking, but even then intervals perfectly fine. Like I don't care if 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 day and month is always zero like that's fine okay. You don't lose anything.
1: All right. I think we should wrap this conversation up uh, Okay, the biggest Sorry. reason being that it's pie day and it's 317 and there are pies upstairs. So I need to go eat. Uh, pies.
0: Okay, go eat your pies <laughs> Hopefully Tom can edit this to sound coherent. No, Times I think it's fine. make me angry man
1: No, I think that's totally fine. And I'm just kidding about the we don't need to wrap up now, but the duration thing I feel like I've written duration classes. I've definitely written duration classes in Ruby before for this type of thing where it's like I I always want to store the number of seconds because it's important that the period of time but like one month was not something we had considered because it wasn't in the context of what we were working on at the time which I don't remember what it was.
0: Yeah I mean Postgres is the only thing I've ever seen that does it right.
1: But I think I feel like it's it's so easy to get yourself into a situation where you're like oh well of course you're always going to want this and then if you think for half a second you think about a context in which you don't want that. Like I talked about the alarm clock like you, oh well you're right. always going to want to wake up at 7am where you are unless that alarm was actually for taking medication that's really important for your heart health or something like that right. You can't yeah. just change that by four hours context always matters
0: context does always
1: matter and you're gonna get it wrong <laughs> <laughs> just become comfortable with it
0: i think the days one though is just the really the most insidious because it's 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 pretty rare that you're actually ever programmatically dealing with time intervals that are greater than one month or where you want to deal with it in terms of months but like days are the one where i feel like too many people get into the assumption that a day is a is a is a, is a fixed length a unit of time which it, it is not it's 24 hours what are you talking about Leap seconds are a thing. I know. And t- and and time zone changes are a thing. Mm-hmm. The day is uh, is 23 hours or 25 hours on the day that day- that daylight savings time happens.
1: Ugh. It's the only appropriate reaction to this. Ugh, yeah. What a mess we've made. Now we are going to wrap up. Yeah. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 147.
0: As always, rings reviews on iTunes are much appreciated.
1: If you have feedback about this show or any other show, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed or any other show, just any other podcast. If you have feedback, we'll about- take feedback
0: about every podcast you hate. We've ranted at you about stuff we hate. You can rant at us about stuff yeah. you hate.
1: Feedback. If you have feedback about anything, whatever you want to give us feedback on, your last hotel stay, whatever, you can email us at hosts at bike Leave a comment on our website. You can also tweet us at underscore bike shed. Oh, Thanks for to
0: the bike shed. And we'll see you next time. The
1: pie. The pie. I'm distracted by the pie. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go have pie now.
0: Yeah, have fun. (laughs) Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.